This is the new LOL podcast, and I am Karen Stewart. My goal is to challenge you, motivate, and encourage you to live your life boldly as a Christian out loud. Do me a favor. If you find anything of value, any motivation, any encouragement, help me spread the word like this. Share it on all your channels. And thanks for listening. Let's get started. If you ask five different people what love is, it is almost guaranteed that you would get five different answers. There has never seemed to be one single way to answer that question fully because love just seems to mean something different to everyone. And I was listening to this podcast recently and I heard this guy in the UK who is called to the financial and banking sector. And one of the things that he said God challenged him with was the question, What would love look like in a financial transaction? And of course, he had the same reaction as I had. I thought it was a ridiculous question. But it made me start thinking about life in general, and especially the challenging times that we're currently navigating and facing. What does love look like in the midst of all the chaos that's going on in our world today? I remember about two years ago when I began this current leg of my journey in pursuit of God, I found myself praying almost constantly, Lord, I have no idea how to truly love you. And if I'm loving you right, please teach me what love is and please teach me how to love you well. I realized that my idea of love may not be perceived in the same way by him and One of the first things that happened to me when I received a fresh revelation of his love for me is that I wanted to love him back and I wanted to love him well. And during that time, I remembered a book that a guy called Gary Chapman wrote in the early 90s called The Five Love Languages, which defined five core ways that we all receive and evaluate love in relationships. You probably have heard of it if you haven't read it. Words of affirmation, acts of service receiving or giving of gifts, quality time, and physical touch. And I thought, well, all of these could be demonstrations of how we love and receive love from God, right? So words of affirmation expressed through prayer and adoration and worship, acts of service expressed through our service in building his kingdom wherever we're planted, whether that's in our homes, in families, in ministry, in school, in our place of work. Receiving or giving of gifts. This could be expressed through the giving of our financial or material resources or our time, our talents, our abilities. Quality time expressed not so much in doing stuff for God, but in dedicated time set apart for being with God. Totally different. And physical touch, which I know is a little bit more abstract, but that's experienced at times as a result of one of the expressions above. Sometimes it's through a tangible emotional encounter and a reality of his presence and the nearness of him. I can see examples of all of these things in the Bible, and all of them seem very valid and logical expressions. But then I thought, since I know that all of us view and define love differently, would the way or ways that I choose to demonstrate my love for God be received by him in the same way that I intended? So here's what I mean. Of the five different love languages I just mentioned, 
pretty much all of us align to one or two of them primarily. And a very brilliant dear friend of mine, my best friend actually, taught me years ago the easiest way to determine what a person's love language is, is to see what they give you. So our primary love language is the one that we give to other people. So for me, love looks like showing up for people. So quality time spent. If someone I love is in need or going through something difficult or needs encouragement, I am very inclined to go and be with them because being present or showing up looks like love to me. So that's the very first thing that I'm always urged to do. But that's not always the thing that the other person needs or wants. It's not even the way that other people all perceive or evaluate love. There is often a conflict in marriages because of this very same thing. The husband or the wife is very intentional about giving their spouse a demonstration of what love looks like to them, but they're not always aware that love may look different on the other side to their spouse. So the husband is saying, I cut the grass and I took out the trash or I bought you some flowers. What's the problem? And the wife is saying, yeah, you did all of that. And that's great. But really, I just want you to tell me you love me and I want you to hang out with me and watch a movie. Right. So I'm thinking about examples from the Bible where it's clearly evident that a man or a woman loved God from God's perspective. And of course, you don't really have to go any further than David. In fact, I don't know if there is another person in the Bible that's mentioned as a man or a woman after God's own heart. And we all love David so much because in some way we feel like we can all relate to him. Right. He was far from perfect. His family was absolute mess. But if God could say about him that he was a man after God's heart, surely there's hope for us. But what was it about this very imperfect guy that would make God say that? Yes, he was a radical worshiper. He was zealous for God. He was an amazing poet. He was a valiant warrior. But somehow, all of these years, as many times as I read that thing about David, that he was a man after his own heart, after God's own heart, I missed the answer. What made David's love stand out to God? And it's in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Here's what it says. And after he had removed him, so after God had removed Saul, that's what it's talking about, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified. This is God testifying. I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. There it was right there. A man after God's own heart is a man or woman who will do the will of God. So love to God looks like obedience. And I don't even know why that was such a light bulb moment for me, because it certainly aligns with Scripture in more than one place, right? In John 14 alone, Jesus says it three different times in three different ways. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then John himself says in his first letter and the fifth chapter, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now. I know in the past, 
I have looked at absolute obedience as hard and difficult and a challenging thing to do. Because honestly, I've always looked at it through the lens of what it would cost me and what I would have to give up. Um, radical obedience always looked like a costly burden to me. It's just, I'm just being honest. But John says that his commandments are not burdensome at all. So obeying God is not a problem. And that word burdensome means weighty or grievous or heavy. And it makes you ask yourself, what did John know that I don't? Because that's just not the way I've always seen it. How could he even say something like that? Well, he knew what he wrote in John 14, 23. When we love Jesus, we will keep his word and he and the Father will make their home in us. And when that happens, we begin to live in the reality of what Paul had when he said that it is God who causes us to will and to do his good pleasure. So what does that look like in the world today? How does obeying God translate to showing love in the chaos and craziness of the world in our lives? So you take the most powerful tool you have, which is your will, your choice, right? And you say, no matter who's talking, no matter who's saying what, doing what, as for me and my house, my allegiance will be to the one and only true and living God. No matter what voices and arguments are trying to draw me in on one side or another, I will look only to him, and then I will obey what he alone is telling me to do in this hour, right now, today. Be very clear. It is the desire of God for all of us to show up powerfully in this hour and be the image bearers of him and his heart. And how do we rightly reflect him in times like these? It's really kind of simple. It's, it's extra simple. We obey the last right thing that he told us to do. And then do that again. Then do that again. And then do that again. Last week, I talked about the importance of knowing who was speaking to you and knowing who was behind the voices that we are following. And while the primary way, I would say, that God does speak to us is through his word, radical obedience also requires us to be able to hear his heart in every situation we find ourselves in and respond according to his heart. Not according to how I feel, not according to what I want, not according to what I like, or not even according to what seems best to me or for me. What is the next right thing for me to do that will please his heart, that will make him smile, and that will bring him glory? Make no mistake, the entire world is watching us right now. Us, the body, the Christ followers. And God himself is love. And we are the Imago Dei, the image of God on the earth. So don't take this lightly, family. We're living in a time that we have never seen before. And this is our finest hour. I challenge you today. Make a fresh commitment to loving God well through radical obedience. 
The world is watching. The world is waiting for us to show up and demonstrate the God that we serve with boldness and his version of love. So let's do it. Let's start living right now in his love. And let's start doing that out loud.